Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen to this message, it helps you grow closer to God and inspires you to live like Jesus. Thanks for listening. Here's the message. Hey, this morning we've finally reached our last week in our summer series we've titled Kingdom Worship. Over the last seven weeks, really nine weeks, but we had Father's Day where we ate a bunch of hot wings and then we had our 4th of July service, which was outside. So really we've been in this series specifically uh, for seven weeks and we've heard from a bunch of our different wonderful communicators. You heard from Pastor Ryan, you heard from Pastor Ethan, you heard from Anthony in Republic. Come on, has this series challenged and encouraged you? Have you got something out of this series? I want you to sit there and think, if I, if, I had to, uh, ref, if I had to reflect, if I had to think on all that I've learned, all that I've heard, all that I've listened to over those seven weeks, what would be the one thing that's like, man, this really impacted me, or this stuck with me the most? I want you to think about that. I want you to hold it and look at it. Remember, we aren't to just hear the word, we are to apply the word, amen? I know for me it's been informative, it's been insightful. I know this series has convicted me in ways, maybe it has you. It's reaffirmed some things in me. It's educated me. One thing I know is, is coming out of this kingdom worship series, I really believe that I'm coming out with a greater understanding of what worship in the kingdom is all about, and I hope that's the case uh, for you too. If you guys remember the very beginning of this series, if we go all the way back to week one, we talked about, uh, we, we looked at a verse from John 4, and we talked about Jesus sitting at the well with a woman. Do you remember this, uh, this, this uh, uh, message? Is Jesus and this woman sit at the well, they begin to converse with one another. Jesus sits down, uh, and the interaction begins by Jesus asking this woman, hey, would you mind to get me a drink? Now, this woman is a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jew. We talked a lot about the drama between the Samaritans and the Jews, so she's blown away that Jesus would even ask her. It almost seems culturally, it is culturally inappropriate, hey, we don't interact with y'all and, and y'all don't interact with us. So why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replies to the woman. He says, well, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me to give you one instead because I'll give you a drink that'll leave you never thirsting again. Conversation just goes from zero to 100 real quick. She's like, well, I want that water because I'm walking out here every day and I'm thirsty every day. So, so what is that? The conversation continues, and eventually Jesus asks the woman, hey, go get your husband. And we know this woman doesn't have a husband. She tells Jesus, I, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know you don't have a husband. He's received this word of knowledge from the Spirit of God. Even though he's never met this woman technically in the flesh, he knows about her. Technically, he is still her creator. I understand that. But Jesus, this is the first time meeting her in the flesh. He says, I know you're not married. In fact, you've actually have five other husbands and the man you're living with right now isn't even your husband. Reads her mail. 
And I, and I think in a combination of both feelings, both emotions, I think there's utter amazement that Jesus knows all these intimate details about her life, but I also think there's utter embarrassment uh, that he's reading her mail like this, and she's like, who's like listening, you know, l- looking around, and, and I don't know if it's because of a combination of, of the way that she feels in this moment, she quickly changes the subject, blown away by his divine, obviously divine wisdom, and she begins to ask Jesus a question, and so this is where we drop into that conversation. Now, there's a lot, there's a, we could preach John 4, we could probably do a whole series on John 4. There's a lot that's happening in this moment, but the reason I wanted to highlight this event in the scriptures is because of the question she asked Jesus, and more specifically, how Jesus responds to that question tells us so much about worship and, and, and how it applies to us today. Let's look at the conversation. After Jesus reads her mail, John 4 Verse 19, she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Um, so remember, we talked that there, you know, there's this long history of the northern kingdom The capital is Samaria. This becomes the kingdom of Israel. Then you have the southern kingdom. This is the kingdom of Judah, right, where they receive divine instruction to build the temple. God continues to speak through prophets. Uh, The northern kingdom never really turns back to God. And instead of going uh, back to the temple, it's scared that the people might convert or that unity might take place again. They just build their own temple on Mount Gerizim. So you have the northern kingdom, uh, supposedly both worshiping God, both uh, groups of people trying to honor God. They just build their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and then you have the temple in Judea. So the, the big argument, one of the most controversial arguments between these two groups of people is, is Mount Gerizim the right place to worship God, or is Jerusalem the right place? You Jews say it's Jerusalem. Us Samaritans say it's Mount Gerizim. What do you say? In verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus has just thrown it out there that maybe the Samaritans have missed it a little bit, but there's still grace here. Verse 23, he says, yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers say true worshipers, because that's what we're after this morning. I don't know about you, but I know about me. If the father is seeking true worshipers, I want to be one. What do I got to do? What does it look like? We want to be true worshipers. And Jesus goes on to say, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. A true worshiper is what the Father is seeking. This is what Jesus says right from his own mouth. He says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, uh, I, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, baby girl, you're looking at him. I'm telling you right now. 
and I'm explaining it to you right now. Uh, If you haven't listened to week one of Kingdom Worship, I would advise you, go on our podcast, go back and listen to that message. It sets a firm foundation for the entire uh, series of of Kingdom Worship, And and I think that message will bless you, encourage you, challenge you. If you didn't hear it, it's definitely worth the second listen. But ultimately, our our takeaway as we drop into this conversation, and again, we take week one to pull it all apart, but to kind of supersede through all of that, uh, essentially what Jesus is saying is a time is coming where your worship isn't confined to a place where his presence dwells, okay? So, so, People would go to the temple to worship because this is where the presence would, do, would dwell. Jesus is saying, it's all about to change. His presence is actually going to come dwell in you and you're gonna become a temple. And so now that I'm a temple with the presence within me, every moment of every day exists the opportunity to exalt God. I am the temple now. Worship always happens here. The scriptures say, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. And I think part of the reason that's even mentioned is because eventually those two things would melt together to be one. Our obedience to the spirit of God is us living as living sacrifices, holy and living sacrifices. Our obedience to the spirit at work within us is our sacrifice to God. This is how we worship him. That's what it looks like to worship him. It starts in the heart. If it's good, say it's good. Now every moment of every day exists the opportunity to worship him. And Jesus so clearly states, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And it's these kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. This morning, I just want to conclude, it's not complicated at all. I just want to look at a couple more characteristics of a true worshiper. What does a true worshiper look like? What do they do? Uh, What's some of their fruit? I want to take a look at that. Would that be all right? Okay, let's pray, and then we'll jump into this thing. Jesus, we love you so much. I personally, Lord, am so grateful for the privilege, the opportunity to communicate your word to a room full of people. Lord, I pray that you would prepare their hearts right now uh, to receive the seed of your word and that you would anoint me to communicate your word powerfully and effectively. If it's just Mark up here and there's no divine intervention, that's a scary place to be, Lord. So I pray that you would do something supernatural in all of us and uh, till the soil of our heart. Help it be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word and let those seeds grow to produce fruit in our lives. We want to know you more. Shape and mold us into a company of kingdom people. Uh, And I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. When Paul, uh, so Paul has a couple sons in the faith. Paul is a New Testament, probably the greatest missionary that we've ever seen. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And as he ventures around, he's he's a missionary. As he ventures around, he collects these sons in the faith. And one of those sons in the faith is Timothy. And so as you look at the New Testament, you'll see that there's actually two letters to Timothy. That's Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, preparing him for his uh, ministry extravaganza he's getting ready. Timothy's a young church planner, essentially. Um, So when Paul's writing, he actually challenges Timothy in that letter. Hey, I want you to be a good worker 
who correctly handles the word of God, who correctly handles the truth of God's word. As we approach the scriptures, I think it's mightily important that as a preacher, I'm diligent in my study, preparation, and presentation of the word of God, that we discover it in its context, that we keep it in its context, and that I present it in its context. Amen? And there's a couple of steps as I sit down to study, as I prepare the message each week, there's a couple of steps that I'll go through that I learned in school of how to have my best chance at making sure and ensuring that I do that. But there's lots of study strategies that can help one understand and study the scriptures. So uh, there's all types, and, and I'm not gonna go through all of those. I just wanna make mention of one this morning, and it's kind of been the principle I've used to uh, base the whole premise of this message on. It's called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. And the law of first mention is the thought that to understand a particular word or doctrine, we need to go back and discover the first place in the scriptures that the word or the doctrine is revealed and then study that passage because the thought process is that if we find where it's first mentioned, uh, the first mentioning of that concept, it's gonna be its simplest and clearest presentation of whatever that thing is. Today, I wanna use the law of first mention on that word worship. Worship. Where do we first see it? What's happening when we first read it? What was the context of the situation? Who was it? How did they worship? The Hebrew word for worship that we see in the scriptures is shaha. Shaha. More Hebrew words today. Come on. And we actually first see it in Genesis 18. When Abraham, who is by God's grace selected to be the patriarch of the Jewish people, you know, Father Abraham, uh, this would be the line through which Jesus will come. This will be the line through which the Jews uh, descend from. He is God speaks to Moses and assigns him a role. Hey, I'm going to make you a new. I'm going to make you a new nation. Uh, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is Abraham. So God promises Abraham to have. Uh, lots of kids, but it's been year after year after year after year, still him and Sarah up in their 90s, still no kid. Uh, God sends three guys to Abraham and says, hey, uh, this time next year, you're gonna have a baby boy. Abraham's in his tent, or Sarah's in the tent, she's listening, she giggles. But in Genesis 18, when, when the three guys approach Abraham uh, and they prophesy that he's gonna have a son in the next year, um, Abraham runs out and it says that he, he bows down and that's that word shaha, he, he bows down. Let's look at it, uh, Genesis 18, two. It says, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them bowing low to the ground, shaha. So um, you, as you look at the definition of this word, it means to bow down to acknowledge a king. It also means to worship God. 
And so where we first see this word shaha here in, in, in Genesis 18, I'm not losing y'all, am I y'all with me? Real convincing, y'all. In Genesis 18, that word shaha is first translated as bowing to the ground, or, or, or more specifically, bowing low to the ground. We first see it translated as worship in Genesis 22. So in Genesis 22 would be the first time we see that word worship. The scriptures first mention the word worship as we know and understand it today in Genesis 22. So today what I wanna do is just park uh, right in Genesis 22 as, as we observe the first mention of worship in the scriptures and extrapolate all that we can to grow in our awareness of what does it mean to be a true worshiper? What does it mean? What does it look like? So if you would turn with me to Genesis 22. And we're just gonna take a little bit of time to go through Genesis 22 uh, verses one through 14. Really familiar with all of this story here. Um, Little bit of background though, Abraham and Sarah, like I told you, God's given some wild promises to Abraham. Um, And they haven't seen those promises come to pass. Eventually, they see the birth of that promise in the physical birth of their son, Isaac, the son that they've made mistakes trying to rush into God's plan, you know, the son that they've wept for and prayed for, and the son that they've waited on with expectation. Eventually, what what the three men came and said would come to fruition, the prophet would come true. They have a son named Isaac, and this is where we pick up our story. Genesis 22, verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God yelled. Yes, he replied, here I am. He's all cheery and excited. He got, he's seen the beginning of the promise that God's put on his life. I want you to take note of this. Abraham recognizes the voice of the Lord. He recognizes the voice of the Lord. Yeah, here I am. Take your son, this is God speaking, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. This is a pretty wild request. I imagine a heart-wrenching request. The next morning, Abraham got up early He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and he set out for the place God had told him about. Abraham first, he recognized the voice of God. But we'll also see secondly that he responds to the voice of God. So he got up and he went. You know, something that I find so interesting is uh, the text, it doesn't give us any insight as to how Abraham's feeling through this whole process. Is he scared? Is he nervous? Uh, Is he just trust God? Let's go on. Verse four, on the third day of their journey, they've been walking for a long time, traveling for a long time. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther and we will, there it is, we will worship there 
and then we'll come right back. Here's where we first see it mentioned. There's our golden word. There's our golden egg. Worship, we saw it, it's there, okay? All right, all right, let's, let's focus now. What, what, what happens from here? And then we will come right back. So Abraham placed wood on, uh, wood, uh, the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife or carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Dad, yes, my son, we got the fire in the wood. Where's the sheep? You are the sheep, shut up. (laughs) Abraham's like, mind your business, it doesn't matter. We'll figure it out when we get there. (laughs) Oh, man. Abraham says, God will provide a sheep for that burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Verse nine, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham builds an altar and he ranges the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Wow, here he is, stepping into the thing that God called him to do that God whispered to him to do. I know it's easy for us to just read through these stories and we've heard them since we were in church, since we were in kids' church, we've, hold this, we've heard this story, which is a little terrifying, you know, but that's okay. It's God's using all things together for the good, amen? So, so here he is, he's got his own kid, but some of y'all got your own kids. You ain't doing this. This is unbelievable. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He recognized the voice of God. He responds to it. But if what I've come to find out, I'm giving away the message here a little bit, but if we're gonna respond to the things that we recognize God calls us to do, we're probably gonna have to release something. Son's laying on the altar. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. He was willing to release it. Then Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket, so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place. This is verse 14. It's not on here. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still uh, still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I want to make mention of something really quick because I think it's the most important part of this story. You know, all of the scriptures testify to Jesus. They point us to Jesus. Uh, He's the author of them. And so as we look through this story, you see Abraham's one and only son that he so loved. That sounds familiar. Puts wood on his back to be carried up a hill to his own sacrifice. That sounds familiar, right? 
The passage so strongly tells the story of a father that will one day sacrifice his son. So that is certainly the primary picture here. And I've preached that before, and if you never saw it, surprise, welcome to church. That nugget is for you. Uh, Jesus is the word. He is the word. And you can find him everywhere in the scriptures, not just the New Testament. He's all over the place. That said, I I do think uh, something to be learned from Abraham in this scene is is the depiction of a true worshiper. This is where we first see that word uh, worship mentioned. So I want to observe some of those things. I want to briefly hit on three things we can learn about a true worshiper as we observe Abraham being uh, one of the first biblical characters to worship himself. And then I have an activity at the end of service I want all of us to take some time to complete. Uh, so here we go, a true, a, a true worshiper, a couple characteristics of a true worshiper. Number one, we recognize, we recognize. Genesis 22, one, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Abraham hears the Lord and he knows it's the Lord who's speaking. And I want us to know, I've said this many times, but we tune the eardrum of our heart to the whisper of God by knowing his word. At times, it can be tough to discern. Maybe you're walking through a season right now where it's like, God, are you asking me to do that? Like, God, are, are you calling me into this new thing? God, am, am I, how am I supposed to respond to this person? I have no idea. And I wholeheartedly believe that the Lord will whisper to our hearts and he'll lead us to do certain things or to say certain things. Like, I, even sometimes, I, I think we over-spiritualize this. There's a man named Philip who's taking taking a walk in Acts 8, and it says that the Spirit speaks to him. Go talk to the man on the carriage. Sometimes it's like that. Hey, go hand them a $20 bill. The Spirit is going to speak. We got to recognize if, you know, if, if, if worship is always going to take place here and our obedience to God is our worship and we're a holy and living sacrifice where he can have my thoughts, words, actions, uh, all of that, my emotions, they're all subject to him as king because I am the offering. Do whatever you want with me, Lord. He is going to lead us and guide us into the good things that he prepared for us long in advance. Are we sensitive? Remember, Romans 12.1 says so clearly, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Every part of me is, is, is an offering to him. Here I am. Do what you want with me. If we're going to offer our bodies to God, I think a real expectation for us to carry is he's going to use us. He wants to use you. He he put his spirit in you to use you. Amen? Amen. I think a real expectation for us to carry is he's going to instruct us and he's going to lead us through his spirit and hearing and doing those things is, is part of how we truly worship him. It starts with recognizing but sometimes I, I think our, we, we wait 
or we stay paralyzed waiting for something super spiritual or, or something supernatural to happen to us or, or, or to be whispered to us or to wake us up or speak to us in a dream or something crazy. And we, we neglect that he's already spoken to us through his word. I'm not saying he's not gonna lead you to do some things right now and he's not gonna convict your heart in unique and personal ways to you and he's speaking and whispering to your heart, but he's put so much in that book right there One way we can surely recognize his voice is by reading his word. And when we spend time in the word, I can promise you that your sensitivity to the leading of his spirit is only gonna grow because we're gonna become familiar with that voice and what it sounds like. If we're gonna be true worshipers who live their life in spirit and in truth, we have to learn to recognize the voice of God. But remember, to just recognize the voice of God would be insufficient as we don't wanna just hear the word, we also wanna do the word, so we can't just recognize. Number two, if you're taking notes, we need to respond. Respond. James 2 talks a little bit about this. James 2 and verse 19, it says, you say, James is, is kind of hard-nosed. I've, I've listened to some preachers talk about uh, the contrast between Paul's letters and James' letters because it, they almost seem vastly different in, in some of their language. And I don't know if this is true or not, and I haven't done the full study, but what one of the uh, uh, teacher I was listening to one time, what he talked about is Paul is going around with this very heavy grace message. There's nothing you can do. Salvation is totally free so that you can't boast about it, okay? It is by grace through faith. You, you've done nothing. It, it's totally a gift, so you can't boast. And so James is coming around doing cleanup where people who are abusing the whole concept of grace, well, then it doesn't matter how I live my life. I'm just gonna go crazy because God's grace. And James James is like, listen, that ain't faith. Real faith produces fruit. I'm not saying you're gonna be perfect, but real faith produces fruit. You say you have faith. You know, I thought of a stupid example, but it's like, if I told you, hey, a million dollars is in that drum cage, like, you can believe it, but because your belief is so strong, you're probably gonna get up and walk over to the drum cage to get that, right? Maybe that's not a great example, but James 2, 19. Let's just go back to the word of God because we know that's good. Spirit, you were supposed to speak through me. Come on. James writes, hard nose, playing cleanup. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He's saying you gotta respond. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? It's an appropriate reference considering what we're talking about. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Our, our faith is rich. There's a lot to be discovered there. But authentic, genuine faith, it produces fruit. If we're gonna be holy, 
and living sacrifices, and that's how we truly worship God, will never be able to operate in the calling that uh, God places on our life if we don't respond to what we've recognized he's called us to, amen? I love when we peer back into Abraham's response to God, asking him to do something so wildly sacrificial. In Genesis 22, verse three, it says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. I guess we're doing this, I'm ready. Saddles up his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. He chopped wood for a fire, and then he says he set out for the place God had told him about. He responded. Simple. What I found to be true is to properly worship the Lord as a, as a holy and living sacrifice, to worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm gonna have to recognize, I'm gonna have to respond, but if I'm gonna, if, if, what I found, and I've already made mention of this, but if I'm, if I'm really gonna respond to all that he calls me to and all that he puts in my heart, a lot of times it's gonna consist of releasing something. Right, have you noticed that? Am I the only one? For Abraham, it's releasing the one thing he had waited so long for and believed God for so long. I, I think what we have to uh, release is it's, it's unique and it's personal to you and to me. Maybe we need to release the need to be affirmed by others and just continue walking in the thing God called us to because he called us to do it. It's not based on the opinions of people. We need to release the opinions. Maybe we need to release the insecurity or the doubt that God could actually use us to do such a thing, right? I won't, I won't respond until I release the doubt or the insecurity and just with all my brokenness and, and, and insecurity, I, I just believe his word is true and that he, you know, he uses the weak things. Come on, he uses the foolish things of the world. So I, I'm gonna just step in. I'm gonna release all those doubts. I, I'm gonna let them go and I'm just gonna move forward into what God has called me to do. Maybe for some of y'all, you, you, even last week, so we talked about simply raising our hands in a moment of worship, in a moment of praise and adoration. Maybe some of us had to release guilt or we had to release shame or we had to release fear just to get our hands up into a posture to give God praise that he's worthy of. As cliche as it sounds, the secret to successfully releasing that which we need to fully respond to what we recognize God has called us to is living by faith. I know it's cliche, but that's what it takes. Living by faith. Living with a full trust in the good character and good provision of God. And like I said, we, we don't get a whole lot of context as to what Abraham's thinking or feeling or, or what his emotions are in this moment. But uh, hundreds of years later, the Hebrew writer, the author of Hebrews seems to have some insight into some of that, which I think is cool. So let's look at Hebrews 11, where it revisits this event of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Worship team, you can come. It was by faith. Right, if we're gonna recognize, respond, and, and, and release, it's gonna require faith, right? And Hebrew says it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham 
who had received God's promises was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. God, this doesn't even make sense. Abraham, out of fear, out of confusion, um, out of selfishness, had all these reasons to not, practically, that just doesn't sound like a good idea, you know? Out of common sense, I'm not gonna go kill my son. I'm not gonna go offer him. But check this out. Verse 19 almost gives us a little secret here. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. This is, this is faith. This is faith. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. As true worshipers, if we're gonna recognize, respond, and release, we gotta have hearts full of faith that trust in the good character and the good provision of God. Where if he calls us to do it, he, he can be trusted. He's a good father. He gives good gifts to his kid. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Come on, he, he, is, he is God that he should not lie. He is, he is only good. And he can be trusted. So if he whispered it to your heart, if he put it in his word, come on, it takes faith to respond. Faith that, God, you can be trusted. And we know the starting point of faith is in that person, Jesus. That's where it all begins. That's where it starts. Like, man, I want to do this faith thing. I want a relationship with the Lord. I, man, man I, I believe what his word says is, is he's created us with good things in mind. You know, I don't, maybe we're so used to hearing it, but to me, I'm blown away that I was created through God. I was created for God, but he has divine assignments on my life. He wants to do things in me. He wants to do things in you. He wants to bless people through you. He wants to challenge people through you. So, so Father, posture my heart. I want to I wanna do what you've called me me to do. I want to, I want to recognize what you're calling. I want to respond. I want anything that's going to hold me back. I'm, I'm ready to release, but it starts with faith and faith starts at that name. Jesus, Jesus, I believe you're sufficient. I believe you're the only way. I believe you're the way, the truth in the life. I believe no one gets to the father except through you. I believe that I was created through you and for you. I believe the cross is sufficient to cover my sin. That sacrifice is sufficient. Jesus, I love you. I'm ready to, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to make you king. That's where it starts. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Destiny Church, how to get connected or give online, visit destinychurch.me. Have a great week.